Hello, and welcome to Good Film Hunting, the podcast where two sisters living in different parts of the country talk with friends and family um, about our favorite movies. Um, And I'll let Eleanor introduce our guest and movie. So our guest today is Anne Kelly, who lives in Los Angeles, and we'll let her tell a little bit more about herself, but Anne is pretty great um some highlights she's like kind of obsessed with her new dog which is I guess fine but um (laughs) (laughs) she she does like opera we went to grad school together and we both work at USC Shoah Foundation though in different departments I've never been introduced through my dog before that's a new one no that's I'm shocked I mean you live in Los Angeles this is the first of many times (laughs) probably she's very cute um, hi, um, my name is Anne. I indeed uh, <laughs> did go to grad school with Eleanor. Eleanor was actually the first person that I met from grad school, from USC, <laughs> way Good back day. in the day. Oh, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, and... Way to go, Eleanor. I know. I'm, I basically went to USC because of Eleanor. And, <laughs> yeah, I knew it. Uh, yeah, my background is in... Um, media archiving and uh, oral history and uh, with a side of uh, watching far too many Katherine Hepburn movies and telling the internet how to feel about it. Well, that's fair because she's like pretty awesome. She is. I I, actually, the thing that uh, we'll get into it later, Um, I've got a whole story about (laughs) it, but um, yeah. And what else do I need to say? Oh, I do love opera. I am Eleanor's opera buddy. And, um, Right now, I really love this coffee that I'm drinking, so we're just gonna go with that. This is by far this is by far the messiest introduction I've ever done, so I hope everybody's enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It's great. Okay, so before we really get into the movie that we're going to do, Philadelphia Story, which is exciting stuff, um, yes, we always go around and talk about our favorite thing that we've enjoyed this week. So Anne, Anne Huntington. This is going to be one? a fun... I said Anne Huntington purposefully. Oh, okay. This, it, it like went out for a second, so I was like, but which one? This is going to be really exciting. Also, I need to recognize the fact that both of you are two Anne's with an E, mm-hmm. which... Which is important. It is. Ants without any are not real. No. <laughs> they are fake people. Like they just, yeah, it's like not a real name. All right. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so mean. Anyway. Um, okay. So my pop culture thing of this the week, and it's kind of sad that it's taken me this long to watch this, watch this, but um, our little brother's birthday was like two weeks ago, and... I went over to just, like, hang out with him so he wouldn't be alone on his birthday. Because hashtag adulthood. Um, And he wanted to watch Parks and Rec, so I started watching Parks and Rec with him. And then I got real into it. So that's, like, pretty much all I've been doing with my free time is watching Parks and Rec. Because I've actually never watched it before. Oh. So, um, yeah, right? So it's, like, a completely new experience for me. And I really like it. And I was talking to a friend about this last night. I loved The Office. Like, I thought it was so funny, but it was always, like, the humor was just, like, a little bit mean. Like, it was always kind of hanging, like, making fun of people, and I feel like Parks and Rec is, like, making, like, all the characters are ridiculous, and they can make fun of them, but at the same time, it's in, like, a very, very loving way, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, like, these people are weird, 
Um, but like we're all kind of weird and they all just like care about each other. So it seems much more like positive and hopeful, which is like Leslie Nope, right? So I feel like it's a really well done show. Okay, also sidebar, because I went down a rabbit hole of Wikipedia recently and I'm I, I don't know how it started, but so the guy who created Parks and Rec his wife went to Notre Dame and is Regis Philbin's daughter. What? And I think that's, Wait, yeah, stop. Yeah. And I think, and she's also a producer, but uh, not of Parks and Rec. Wait, on Parks and Rec? Not on Parks and Rec. But no, I okay. think that's why there's like, granted it's in Indiana, but there's pretty consistent Notre Dame references throughout the yeah. series. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was like, this is the funniest. But anyway, random. And I don't know how I got on that Wikipedia hole, but I definitely did. You know, there are worse ways. <laughs> I mean, as long as we're spouting random facts about Parks and Rec, the uh, courthouse in Parks and Rec, or the state building in Parks and Rec, is actually the Pasadena um, City Hall. Oh, wait, really? Yeah, it is. It's I, I live nearly walking distance from it. Um, okay, that's amazing. They just, is there a mural? There is not a mural. The mural, uh. the mural is a wonderful addition of the Parks and Rec art department which deserves a shout out if only because they spent so much time making los angeles look like indiana they didn't they did an excellent job they did do a really excellent job agreed agreed mm-hmm. oh okay how about ann kelly what is your pop culture of the week all right my pop culture of the week is actually am, am i allowed to sh- give a shout out to a podcast on a podcast absolutely For sure. all right so it is officially baseball season in los angeles and the rest of the world i suppose but i don't care about anything that's not yeah. the dodgers and i recently tripped across this podcast called the real housewives of chavez ravine oh okay. my gosh that's funny so it's, I, I want to call it like a podcast for people who don't like baseball, except I do like baseball and I love this podcast. It's not a statistics podcast. It's not a, um, you know, a, a hard look at, at the season. It is uh, two women and their producer, Neil, basically just chatting over a beer about the, their favorite things and least favorite things that have happened in the week in baseball. And it can be a 15-minute long conversation of what they would want their walk-up music to be with like a very, very serious conversation about the pros and cons of uh, 80s metal music. Or it can be, here are all the things that we love about Yasiel Puig's butt. Or it can <laughs> actually be, you know, here are some things that happened in the week of baseball. So it's such a, it feels very much like going to a bar and having a couple of beers with your friends and just re- saying ridiculous things. Um, about sports I also love it because there are so few female voices in sports that like yeah, sports casting. I mean in baseball yeah, yeah and especially in baseball and especially like allowing anybody to you know I, I have two friends who became baseball fans entirely because I took them to a game and they like saw Chase Utley's ass and were suddenly very much baseball fans so that's amazing yeah let us let us honor the thirst that um so many female <laughs> fans have so yes it's a wonderful podcast I highly suggest it whether you like baseball or not because they're also just extremely funny oh love it into it oh my gosh that and is perfect and it's getting me through the fact that the Dodgers are currently last in the National League right now 
Indeed, that doesn't stop people from going. I was in Echo Park yesterday, and I like forgot that there would be a game going on, and it was overwhelming being surrounded by so much happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at that game last night. Exciting. Well, I was at Guisados, so I had tacos. So. I still have never been to Guisados. Okay, so you we need to go to a Dodgers game, and then we'll get Guisados beforehand. That sounds excellent. Let's do it. It's perfect. Is it, um, you guys it, are so funny. Does it have to be a Dodgers-Cubs game? Because, like, I feel like that might turn to bloodshed. No, no, no. I, I usually go to, like, a, at least one Dodgers game a year anyway. Okay. We'll figure it out. Yeah. You guys, I can... I should come. You should come. <laughs> okay, that I'm very soon going to be moving to California, so I can just bop down. Mm-hmm. Annie is experiencing real FOMO in this moment. <laughs> Okay, I'm just like so excited to be in California. I think that's like the 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 real amazing. Absolutely. Okay. There you go. Okay, but you guys, it's time for my pop culture reference <laughs> and I really want you to stick with me because I have been talking about this truly nonstop since Wednesday night when I took myself to the movies in Indianapolis because there was a movie theater right by my hotel. Oh, that's the dream. It changed my life, and <laughs> everyone needs to run out and see Rampage as soon as possible. Okay, Eleanor, no. Like, absolutely not. Like, absolutely <laughs> not. I refuse. Annie, it was the most fun. I I haven't enjoyed myself. There's no way that's possible. No, Annie, like, I have not enjoyed myself in a movie as much as I have with Rampage, and I've seen, like, comedies, you know what I mean? Like, last night I saw I Feel Pretty, and then last weekend I saw Blockers, like, you know what I mean? Wait, I Feel Pretty's out? Yeah, Annie, mm-hmm. it came out yesterday, uh, Friday. Wait, shut the front door! It's because you hate women, and you don't want to support female film people. Okay, Whoa. so calm yourself. No, it's fine. Calm yourself. Okay, but Annie, back to Rampage. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. You hate women. You... Let's talk about Rampage. <laughs> okay, so you guys have seen the first season of Master of None, correct? Uh-uh. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, there's like part of the premise in that first season is Aziz's character auditions for a show a movie that's like about like a plague and it's really bad acting and they show scenes from it rampage is like that but real and then the best scene and this is a scene my jaw literally dropped and i was at a cool theater where they had like one of those buttons and then a waiter comes and like you can order beer and stuff so naturally i did um but there's a scene where there's a giant wolf that jumps off of a mountain and takes a helicopter out of the air. Like, it was perfect. Okay, so I think that that did something for you that, like, yeah, no. It was so, (laughs) everyone, and I went with no expectations. It literally was because my jet lag was, like, so messed up that I was like, I can't go to sleep right now. Um, But it was perfect. I'm going to stick with it. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Philadelphia Story now. Yeah. Like an actual classic. <laughs> yeah, let's Rude. do it. All right. So, Ann Kelly, the first thing we ask of our guests is to provide a brief description of the plot of the movie and then a little reason um, on your part why you selected this movie out of all of the movies possible. Sure. So, Philadelphia Story tells the charming provincial tale of um, the eve of the second wedding of Tracy Lord, who is a Philadelphia socialite. Um, Her first marriage to 
um, one C.K. Dexterhaven, played charmingly by Cary Grant, uh, went south years ago and she's trying it again. This time, instead of marrying Blue Blood, she's marrying Blue Collar. Um, a man named George Kitteridge, who turns out to be an absolute and utter snob. So it's basically the story, it takes place over two nights, over um, the beginning of and then conclusion of uh, Tracy Lord's wedding. Uh, Tracy Lord, played by the fantastic Catherine Hepburn, um, as she attempts to and then changes her mind about marrying one man while surrounded by like two or three others. Um, there's a, a second romance that involves a very charming Jimmy Stewart playing a very irascible uh, um, journalist who's supposed to be there to blackmail her. Um, and in the typical late 30s, early 40s uh, uh, style, like hijinks and Sue, mostly alcohol-fueled hijinks because 1940. Um, so... The reason that I chose this movie, it's not really a childhood movie in the same way that, you know, we, we talk about, like, the first movies that you see or the things that end up being really important to you as a very little kid. This was a movie that I came to, ah, oh my gosh, I think the first time I watched it, I was in fifth grade. But it okay. very, yeah, but it very quickly became basically my favorite movie. It's the kind of movie that I now quote without noticing that I quote it. I get that. Um, because yeah. I have I have seen it so many times. And it is also, just as a side note, a movie that has had a profound effect on my life because because of that movie, I developed a passionate attachment to Katherine Hepburn and b building off of a studio system Hollywood um, attachment that I had already. And because of that attachment, I ended up writing a series called 52... Or uh, a year with Kate, which was watching all fifty-two of her movies chronologically. Are you? And because of that series, what? I am dead serious. And because of that series, I got into grad school. And because of grad school, I ended up at the Shoah Foundation. And here we are today. That's the funniest. wait. That is not real. That is an amazing story. Yeah, I actually legitimately did. I've seen every single movie Catherine Hepburn has ever been in, um, in order, and written about six hundred to eight hundred words on each. It's still up there. It's on the film experience. You can find it. Just write, type the film experience a year with Kate and the whole thing will pop up. Um, definitely. Um, okay. So even within those 52, is Philadelphia Story still your favorite? Or was there another one that kind of like took the cake? It is personally my favorite. And it's because I mean, there's there's a thing that I love about it, which is that it, I don't know that there is another movie that was so perfectly tuned to a star's image as the Philadelphia Story was. Uh, I mean, it was very specifically written for Katherine Hepburn about Katherine Hepburn's image in order to help rehabilitate her image, and so it just fits her in a way that no that very few other movies ever do. Um, but on a why did she have to redo her? Image. Oh, she was declared box office poison. So this w actually started as a play um, in the, in 1939, and it was after RKO let her go because bringing up baby bombed and holiday bombed, and the um, and a, a group of independent theater producers essentially wrote this thing that ended up in Variety and a couple of other places, stating these are the actors and actresses that never make us any money. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Catherine Hepburn's name was on that list. So incidentally was um, Marlene Dietrichs. And RKO oh. found it as a reason to to start giving her 
worse scripts. So she just walked away from RKO. Hmm. She bought out her contract, went on Broadway with this show. Uh, it became a huge smash success. Incidentally, the first um, the the show had a very young Ann Baxter, who would eventually be Eve in All About Eve, and Joseph Cotton in it. Oh, and, I love um, jo- Joseph Cotton. Yeah, playing C.K. Dexter Haven, playing the role Cary Grant would eventually play. Um, and it became such a big success that MGM came calling. MGM said, we want the play. And Catherine Hepburn said, fantastic. You don't get it without me. Hmm. And so they saw. Ooh, good for her. Well, uh, it helped that she was dating Howard Hughes at the time and he bought her the uh, rights for her. Um, and so, yeah, so MGM signed her up. They did the full treatment for her. And this was her big comeback. And it was a huge success. It was a huge financial success. And it relaunched her at MGM, started a whole new chapter of her career. With none of okay, which so, I knew when I saw it when I was in fifth grade. But <laughs> Well, I didn't know about it until you just told me. So I'm learning all the things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I saw it in fifth grade and I think it was a very formative movie because ostensibly the 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 moral of the movie, because this is the nineteen forties and all of your movies surrounding women have to have morals, ostensibly the moral of the movie is like gain some humility. Uh, and listen to your elders and listen to the men around you and you will become a better woman. But in actuality, Tracy Lord and Catherine Hepburn as Tracy Lord is, I mean, the like her version of humility is basically she gets a little drunk, possibly sleeps with a guy and then nobody like punishes her for it. She is, gets to be a tomboy, but very glamorous. She gets to be um, very serious and also very silly. She gets to be uh very um like she gets to ride so many lines basically she gets to wear pants but also dress in these fantastic adrian gowns she gets to be extremely drunk but also get virtually no repercussions from it um there are so many contradictions about her that like little fifth grade me was like it's okay to be all of these things and still like you you still end up with the person you want at the end this is great so it was just kind of (laughs) no i'm serious i never put it in exactly those words but um, it was a, a pretty important formative movie for me in that way, that there was this other version of, um, you know, femaleness that you could have that wasn't, you know, Judy Garland or Grace Kelly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, this was not my f- first, so Eleanor and I probably saw High Society before we saw Philadelphia. Philadelphia, sure. Mm-hmm. What yeah. do you agree? Because our so, family is like, like very in big the t- Bing people into musicals, well, particularly mm-hmm. Bing well, yeah, Crosby. Bing and musicals. Yeah. So, truthfully, by and I love Catherine Hepburn, mm-hmm. but by the time I saw a Philadelphia story, I'm like, what is this? Like <laughs> a, le- a less exciting version yeah, of like, High Society. Where is Louis Armstrong <laughs> teaching me about jazz? <laughs> right, right. Where's Louis Armstrong? Where is Frank Sinatra singing to Grace Kelly? You're you know, like it was mm-hmm. Yeah. And like again, I think that that they're like classic actors and actresses in this movie and it's so well done and it is so funny. But I mean, for me it just like was the high society that wasn't mm-hmm. high society. <laughs> I mean, you can't go wrong with Cole Porter songs. You legitimately can't go wrong. And there are very few things that I love as much as Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby getting drunk together. 
Uh, and singing oh, Have gosh, You Heard. Oh, gosh, I know, right? Yeah. Like, Have You Heard is just such a wonderful song. And Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with, um, oh, hell, how, how have I forgotten uh, the name? Shoot. Celeste Holm. Yeah. Celeste Holm. Yeah. I mean, Celeste Holm is a phenomenal uh, uh, comedian. And she does not undervalue right? yeah. that character that she plays does not get. I mean, Ruth, uh, Ruth Hussey is amazing, but Ruth Hussey does not get as much to do as uh, Celeste Holm for sure. Yeah. Well, so I totally yeah. get that. I would say the younger sister whose name I'm blanking on is far superior in Philadelphia. Story. Dinah. Dinah is far superior in Philadelphia story than she is in high society. That I would say mm-hmm. is like one of the undeniable, um, better castings because wasn't this also grace kelly's last film before yes it was okay. it was the one it, it was the last movie she made right before uh marrying the prince of monaco and peacing out deuces um the- uh which incidentally means that she is the only it is the only time in history that sitting royalty has ever been presented with a, a record because the um true love went i want to say I don't think it went platinum. I think it went gold. And so they had to present her with the record. And she was already sitting royalty when it happened. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I love high society, too. I also come from a family that deeply loves musicals. Um, and it surprises me, actually. I think I saw them in quick succession to each other because the next year I had to write a research paper and I wrote it on Grace Kelly instead of on Katherine Hepburn mm. um but uh I, I mean the music is wonderful uh, my the on a personal thing I'm not as big of a fan of Grace Kelly as in in this role as Katherine Hepburn I'm also not as big of a fan of Grace Kelly in general mm-hmm. but um I feel like there's a lot of other stuff in high society that makes high society great but she herself as Tracy isn't as good uh, a lot of a lot of the Philadelphia story kind of hangs on Katherine Hepburn and Katherine Hepburn's persona and her charisma, and a lot less of High Society hangs on Grace Kelly. No, it's much more male centric. So the reasons that you were really drawn yes. to the Philadelphia story are not present in High Society. Well, yeah. And I okay, so I'm speaking just for myself. It's hard because I understand, like, on a dispassionate academic level. Um, and not just you, but, like, people's obsession with Katherine Hepburn. But that has mm-hmm. never been something I've been able to, like, tap into or understand. Because it was even... And it's hard because I think so many of the movies she was in... Um, no, that's a lie. Two of the movies that she was in, I loved the remakes more than I liked the ones that she was in. Because the same goes for Little Women. Like, I love the 1950s mm-hmm. Little Women. I'm not... And I'm, like, obsessed with Little Women film adaptations Mm -hmm. but I did like my least favorite little women is the one that she is in so I oh that's so funny so I think at like a very early age um and also because my mom loved the African queen and she showed it to us when we were too young and we were like this is really boring why can't we watch Hatari um yeah that's that's (laughs) one you gotta come to at the right age because I definitely watched African queen too early too and all I remembered was the leeches yeah I'm like this is weird why can't we watch Hatari yeah um God, I love Hattari. Well, I feel like it was one of the first movies that our parents went to on a date, right? That isn't that the much ado about nothing, Annie. They weren't. They didn't. No, not much ado about nothing. African no, Queen. No, you are thinking Annie. You are thinking of the Meryl Streep movie. Out of 
out of Africa. <laughs> Slight difference. It all had something to Slight do with difference. Africa. Admittedly, both about white people where they shouldn't be, but also right. slight difference. Oh, there's like a big difference. Thanks for being so kind to me, but that's like a big difference. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Annie, like you're gonna have people think our parents are like approaching 120 years old. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, did your parents get married? Like, did your parents get married at sixteen? How old were they? Oh gosh. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, Sorry, Robin and Bob, you're great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, she she's not a conventional star, and because she's not, because there are, I wouldn't. It's not even necessarily about the contradictions, but the fact that she kind of wore her tomboyishness on her sleeve for the almost the entirety of her career. Um, because she was never particularly a sex symbol or overtly feminine because she, especially later in her career, mostly leaned hard on the grand dame type mm. movies. Um, it's especially hard as a kid to find a lot of Katherine Hepburn's um, filmography interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a lot yes. of stinkers in there. Like in the RKO stuff, there are a lot of stinkers in there. Um, I can, I, I actually, so Eleanor, I am completely flipped from you. I love the 1930s Little Women passionately, and I cannot stand the 50s version because June Allison just grates on my nerves in a way that I cannot put succinctly really? into words. Yeah, I find her too sweet and too nice. And the part of Joe March that I always loved was the part that she was basically all rough edges. Um, and so I like the version of Joe March that's all rough, rough edges. Oh my gosh. No, alternatively, I would say June Allison is another like subtle Huntington obsession and we love the movie yes. Good News um, that almost yes. no one likes and sh- no one should really watch because they have the very <laughs> offensive song about Native Americans. <laughs> but like... Yes, they do. <laughs> yes. But... I just... Why does she have to smile about movie. everything? Why does she have to smile about everything? There are times June Allison smiles that she just does not need to smile, but it's just like that's her resting face. Well, oh my gosh. I think that that's my resting face, so maybe that's why I like it was her. No, no, no. Uh, One of the best things with her is I loved watching That's Entertainment and people talking about her mm-hmm. and being like, yeah, like, no one thought she could sing except Richard Rogers, and he kept writing her music. And I was like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it is true but uh, she's no, also in so another okay. one of my least favorite remakes she's also in another one of my least favorite remakes of all time which is they did a musical version of the women um called That's... the opposite oh. sex oh my gosh i forgot about that and <sighs> the supporting cast is amazing Anne miller is in it joan collins is in it like before she does her soap opera career playing a very very trashy version of crystal allen but like June Allison is in it as the lead and you need to have some kind of bite to you in order to play uh, Mary Haynes. And she just has no bite. So she walks up and she's like, I'm going to continue to be nice. I'm like, no, this is literally a movie about women like tearing into each other. Go at it. Oh my gosh. No. It's also got the guy from Naked Gun in it, but that's a different story. I don't think I've seen that movie. It's not very good. I highly suggest you watch it. See? Like Rampage. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I'm... Um, no, because it's a musical... I, it's I a saw musical, The Death of Stalin, and it was great. It's a musical version of a 30s screwball comedy with... Uh, because it's in the 1950s, um, like, much more conflicted views about sex and gender. So it's a lot of fun to watch, like, the 50s try to deal with how explicit parts of the 30s were about talking about women's issues. Yeah. So. 
I swear there are non-academic reasons to watch it too, but um, you get to watch Ann Miller like rip somebody's dress off. It's an interesting movie. <laughs> cool. That sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Like sweet little Ann Miller. Are you Miller. doing all right? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just okay. uh, still slightly... Yeah. Sorry, I'm making the recording of this a lot more difficult. You're all um, good. But if it makes you feel better, I'm like pretty sure I'm recording, but there's also like a very good chance that I'm not. So like we're fine. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Living the best lives. Yeah. Haley loves us right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh lovely. Well, okay. Should we move into what we think the legacy of this movie is? Sure. Yeah, and I think that's that's been a lot of it. Um a lot of the conversation. Okay, so Anne. Kelly. I love how I have to, like, reconfirm. Uh, you can just call me Annie and that's we'll be true. Fine. You call me know, Annie anyway. Yeah, nobody, nobody calls me Annie thing. except uh, one of our coworkers, so you're Which fine. of the coworkers calls you Annie? Renita, and I've tried to get her to stop twice. It's okay. She calls me Emily. I think she's just like, oh, yeah. What? She, like, oh, she, like, I guess the first couple of months I was there, she kept calling me Emily, and I didn't realize it. And so then, like, Ariana finally was like, you have to tell her your name is Eleanor. So I did, but a lot of times she forgets. And I think to cover up the fact that she was, like, embarrassed that she got it wrong, she, like, still sometimes is like, oh, my dear Emily or Eleanor. Yeah. And I'm like, eh, <laughs> I'm not sure you know my name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's actually hilarious. Um, but... So it works out. Um, what was I going to say, though? Okay, so... Do, anyway. Do you know if, how frequently the Philadelphia Story is still performed as a play? Or have you... Virtually not at all. Really? Okay. Have you um, have you seen it performed as a play? I have. And I got to be honest, it's a star vehicle, so it really just never holds up as well. Got it. Yeah. Um, it it's so specifically tuned to not only a time and a place but also a person. It's hard. To, it's hard reviving those late '30s screwball comedies and rom coms anyway because, you know, time, taste, and even timing has changed so much that if you go see something like You Can't Take It With You, which I love, or The Man Who Came to Dinner, which I also love because it's a screwball comedy with penguins set at Christmas, um, it you feel very much like you're watching a period piece. So in this case, you feel like you're watching a period piece where, like, the thing, the reason you're watching the period piece is very clearly not there anymore. Um, mm. So it just kind of, it. I've seen it performed twice, and it was kind of DOA both times. Interesting. Um, and that's not at the fault of the people doing it. It's just very, you know, very much of its time. Yeah. Well, and what you bring up about the screwball comedies, I think, is interesting because I, for one, like, I love Nancy Myers. Uh, mm-hmm. That, I would say... Eleanor loves And I would Nancy say, like, Myers. to a certain extent, I haven't always traditionally um, veered, like, super girly in the traditional sense. And there's two ways that I always have. It's been, like, Little Women for me and Nancy Myers movies. And I'm, like, 100% mm-hmm. in. And with... And I've read articles about, like, Nancy Myers as a screwball comedy, and she has talked about how she, how she was so influenced by screwball comedies, including those of Katherine Hepburn's, um, particularly Bringing Up Baby. And you see that mm-hmm. in the movies. And especially now, um, I would say, in the more recent films that she has done, it's become more and more 
the critical backlash is about how disconnected the people she's presenting are from everyday Americans. But that, mm-hmm. and I think that's also problematic, this um, understanding of everyday Americans, because granted, it's not everyone in America's experience, but it's definitely reflective of the circles that she floats in. In the same way that mm-hmm. like, Philadelphia story, I will never live like in Newport. You know, there's like all of these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like that's not mm-hmm. to say that certain people don't. But yeah, it's the rich are different right. than you and me. Yeah. Whereas in the 30s, um, it was deemed like aspirational. And when we view it as a period piece and when we watch it in the past, we can deflect. But now it's almost like a comment on what we are lacking. Mm hmm. And oh, Eleanor, that got real deep. That did, and I think I think <laughs> it's totally valid though too. There's a lot of way. I mean, there's been a lot of backlash against female-driven rom-coms in general. It's just it's now a genre that is very difficult to revive mm-hmm. or to make a movie in without explicitly making kind of one of those postmoderny like. Uh, we are now making a rom-com. Therefore, we will spend the rest of the time talking about how it's not a rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's one of those genres that didn't just fall out of favor, but like fell virulently out of favor. Like there was a turning point somewhere in the middle of Katherine Heigl's career where, (laughs) um, all of a sudden it was like, you know, rom-coms are anti-women and, uh, you know, these are, are silly and stupid and doing terrible things for, uh, women, which is weird because it was a genre where you had the most female directors and female writers and female stars well and during its heyday it really did it had elements of female friendship as the central role and i feel like since then um we have less and less um in in movies that are ostensibly about romantic it now becomes just the couple themselves and less about Mm -hmm. like the external friend group um and it was even interesting so with the most current rom-com out, so like I Feel Pretty, and all all of the backlash that came out, I mean, there was so much backlash that came out even before uh, it was released, but what we see now is people immediately like jumping to conclusions and getting upset um, mm-hmm. on multiple levels. And part of it is, oh, like there's not enough diversity in the cast or um, there's many things that are problematic but also there are I'm working on the assumption many women in their 30s in New York who like do not have friends of color like and yeah it's very easy like, to self-segregate yeah it is really easy to self-segregate and so when the when and this happened I know with girls and they're like this is absurd the fact that like uh the first season they got so much press for the fact that like it was three it was how many there's four girls and girls um yeah four there's four four. girls and like they're like this isn't representative of contemporary brooklyn and like aspects of it aren't that's for sure like people on the street but that's not to say that everyone in her immediate social circle there's like a very good chance they would also be white Mm -hmm. i mean rom-coms have traditionally i mean hollywood in general and rom-coms in specific have traditionally kind of been about white women um, but, that's not something that you can walk away from. They're like, name your top three, top five rom-coms. They're all going to be centered around white women. I would, no, but I would yes. say, I would honestly disagree with that because there's, 
part of the problem with the segregation of films, what we consider to be wide release rom-coms would mm. be centered around white women, but there there's a, like a whole bunch of films that do not play in every theater that play in like um, heavily black neighborhoods, and those do f- that. It, there are like very strong examples of like black woman female centered romantic comedies. That's true, and it's just like they and, never make the top well, ten list. Which are historically Unless they're girls' night, which was yeah, awesome. But they're historically compiled. Well, I was by... about to say girls' night or um, last holiday, which Eleanor and I have like a particular love for. Mm-hmm. Love last holiday, like love, and yep. again, so liking love. the remake more than the original. Fair, totally fair. It's a remake. Yeah, Annie of a yeah. movie with Alec Guinness. Sometimes, yeah. what? I don't even know what to do with you. <laughs> Um, but I to be nothing. sure, to be sure it's a fraught genre. Um, and I, I mean, I think you absolutely see kind of getting us back towards legacy. I think you absolutely see the legacy, not just of the Philadelphia story, but kind of of Catherine Hepburn's career consistently, not just in, in the Nancy Myers of the world, in the, actually the Nora Ephron's of the world, uh, Nora Ephron's, uh, parents actually worked on a later Catherine Hepburn romantic comedy. Um, really? Called Desk Set. Yeah, they were the screenwriters for Desk Set. Um, there were so many... I forget how many movies were made in this, like, golden age of Hollywood. You know? Like, <laughs> just endless. Oh, yeah. And they're all, like, kind of the same, but, like, different. Like, just mm-hmm. endless. Like, Desk Set. Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Nora Ephron's uh, parents were the screenwriters for Desk Set um, and substantially rewrote it to make it into a romantic comedy because it really wasn't in its play form. Um, but, I mean, even even things like uh, when Warren Beatty and Annette Bening made Love Story, which incidentally Catherine Hepburn was in, but they, like, b- borrow shot for shot parts of um, parts of Catherine Hepburn movies. Um, in part because no way. And, oh yeah, uh, their their meet cute is um, a direct reference to um, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn meeting in Woman of the Year. Um, except they're oh, on a plane. A movie. Oh yeah, it's a wonderful movie, and it came out right after this. Like uh, Philadelphia Story was the reason why Woman of the Year got made. Um, really? Yeah. Well, because now she's a huge major star, she can write whatever she wants, and she says, "I want to make a movie with Spencer Tracy," and does. <laughs> Um, I loved the two of them together. I mean, if we're going to talk about like a classic Hollywood kind of pairing. Oh, yeah. Like we haven't talked about that pairing at all yet. But like any movie they've made is just delightful and charming. There are. I mean, there are. Okay. So so you're talking about how many there are. There are some absolutely terrible Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy movies out there. They made a Western. It is awful. Never see it. It's called Sea (laughs) of Grass. But, um, yeah, they, when they were on, like, when they were on, they were great. Mm-hmm. One of the Year is a phenomenal movie. Uh, and Desk Set is really cute, too. Um, but, yeah, so I think, oh, man, I lost my train of thought. We were doing so well. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they are, like, Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant have a very specific chemistry that I love because I love bringing up baby. Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy have a completely different chemistry that I also love. Um, because it seems like they're always calling each other on their crap, uh, which is just delightful to watch. Um, but even though 
Philadelphia Story has isn't necessarily a well-known movie anymore, or even High Society isn't a really well-known movie, unless your parents are musical theater geeks or musical geeks um, in general. Um, I think you still see them play out, or at least those tropes play out all the time. Like the, I just got drunk and I woke up with the wrong person. Hmm. Yeah. How many times do you see that? Oh my gosh, Romancing the Stone. That was like the first yeah. movie I really remember that happening. Yeah, it's, I mean, it you is. You guys know movies that, like, literally I've never heard of. You've also <laughs> seen Romancing the Stone is the hysterical. Stone. Oh, man. And uh, what's the... I don't think I've seen Just that Annie, because I, like, very explicitly, oh, my gosh, sometimes. Okay, anyway, please continue, Anne Kelly. It's Romancing the Stone. Then what was the sequel? Jewel of the Nile? I think I worked on that one. Really? Um, so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, like, positive I haven't seen it. Oh, it's, it's. <laughs> it's hysterical you should definitely watch it um oh goodness mm-hmm. i think they played it at T- Ter- Turner have, classic like, movies film movie festival amnesia too. you have you- there's a lot to keep up on she definitely has movie amnesia mm-hmm. i think that's what we need to call it from now on Just- movie amnesia yes <laughs> i swear i watched this at some point i mean yeah that's totally fair <laughs> I just like forget having seen a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Well, you yeah. didn't need to like you didn't get a master's in it. You didn't need to to memorize all of it. I'm finding myself forgetting stuff all the time now that I'm not in the in, in the a media studies program yeah. anymore. Oh yeah, and and Eleanor, you still watch movies all the time. I really don't. Um, my movie watching has has shrunk considerably. Uh, since graduating do you have movie pass there's so much to do no and i don't really want to get it i'm not really interested in it in it anymore i uh, read more now i guess and i play with my dog yeah you have a dog that and she doesn't really like time mm-hmm. <laughs> she's currently sitting outside my bedroom and occasionally like tapping on the door but i'm not letting her in because then it would get loud no, I feel that. So funny. I feel it. Okay. Eleanor, I thought of you yesterday because there were babies everywhere at Dodger Stadium. <gasps> oh my goodness. Okay. Sorry, I know we're just gossiping now, but I will, next time I'm at Dodger Stadium, I will take lots of pictures of Dodger's babies for you. So yeah, because Annie, it's well known in the office that like, I much prefer babies to dogs and like people think it's the weirdest thing. When I adopted Humans. a dog, your first comment was, does this mean I'm not going to see you anymore? Like, <laughs> Eleanor, I love you, but come on. That's also an amazing reaction, Eleanor, and I completely approve. <laughs> because it's true. It's true. We see each other every day. It's true. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, like, fun things. I've just had multiple friends, when they get dogs, like, stop being social, and it, I think I have, like, PTSD from that. Like, it bothers me more than, like, people having babies. I don't know. That's what, that's what dog walking services are invented for. I just send my dog on a walk through a dog walking service, and I go out instead. There you go. This is important. Sorry, this is a complete tangent. I apologize, Haley. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, um... Let's talk about whether or not kids today should see this movie. Absolutely, Fifth they graders, should. Per se, absolutely, they should. It's yeah, I, mean, I would agree. High Society and or Philadelphia Story. I I think it's still like the the 
when I introduce people to my favorite old Hollywood movies, I always do it with a caveat of, okay, there's a lot of regressive gender and racial politics in this that are going to make you very uncomfortable. But the reality is that a lot of those racial and gender, gender politics still exist. And this is a movie mm. that is entirely about three men essentially telling one woman how she's supposed to be a woman for the majority of the movie. She gets, she gets yeah. it heaped on from her dad. She gets it heaped on from C.K. Dexter Haven. She gets it heaped on from George. And she gets it heaped on from Jimmy Stewart's character, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. Hold on. Yeah, I know. That's... Um, Oh my well, gosh, I can't even remember his characters from Indiana. He doesn't even, he, his name's not as great. I think that's part of it. Like, the rest of them have. Macaulay Connor, Mike. His name is Mike. Um, like, there are a lot of people essentially telling her how she is supposed to be female. Um, and they are messages that sound very familiar now. It's, you know, listen to your, listen to your father. Uh, you need to be uh, glamorous and aloof. No, you need to be warm and close. No, you need to be the little woman. Like, these are things that still pop up. And, you know, having a little context to how long that's been going on is not a bad thing for a fifth grader. And watching somebody say, screw it all and get drunk and then marry the guy she wants anyway is also not a bad message for a fifth grader either. Probably not before that because it's <laughs> a little bit... Well, well, but, they just well because understand. it's not bringing up baby because they would get yeah. bored. Yeah, they would get bored. Yeah. Um, but that would be my one like hesitation with sh- showing this movie as opposed to High Society to a fifth grader. I feel like because of the music and I don't know, it just I I and like it being in color or you know what I'm talking about. Like I feel like it it's like a little bit more accessible, but. I do think that this story is classic and they would enjoy it, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they should watch it. Yeah, I, admittedly, I grew up on Groucho Marx and the Marx Brothers, so the whole argument about black and white versus color continues to baffle me. Like, I don't know why that's a, a difficult or point deterrent. of entry, but I do know that it is. Uh, yeah, it's a I, huge deterrent, let me tell you. I've tried uh, in my classroom to, like, show clips of, like, black and white movies and they're like, what is this? This is boring. That's so <laughs> Yeah, I've I had the problem as I had the same problem as a TA. But yeah, that's so weird because I feel like in Boston when we would show like Charlie Chaplin and everything, it wouldn't be a problem. Well, so here's the thing. I think it's what is usually they're very resistant up front and then they get into it and they're fine with it, but they would never choose to sit down and watch a movie in black and white. Yeah, and that's too bad. I I honestly, I mean, I, th- I think there are a lot of reasons why you should watch older movies, not just Hollywood specific, but um, those are the e- most easily accessible. And uh, I, I, it makes me extremely sad that the fact that they're in black and white is a deterrent because there is a lot to understand about now that comes from then. Oh, for sure. And also there's just fun and silly performances. Like, do you want to watch somebody chase around a leopard for two hours? Fantastic. I have a movie for you. Like, do you want to see a guy sneak into people's houses pretending to be a butler when he's actually super rich? Fantastic. I have a movie Hmm. for you. Do you want to see a political satire where a guy guy dressed as Hitler uh, balances a globe on his butt? Fantastic. I have a movie for you. Do you want to see a different political satire where people make jokes about seals? Fantastic. I have a different political satire for you. Like, you just miss a lot. Oh, undoubtedly. But I think that, like, I mean, I would say that most of my students don't even watch movies so much as they just watch YouTube. And so I mm. think that that 
even sitting down for an hour and a half to watch anything is mm-hmm. kind of beyond them. Like, it doesn't I, happen. I really wonder if, like, the, the Marx Brothers and the Three Stooges might be perfect for the YouTube generation. Because essentially what they do are just very, very short skits. skits right. Like, five-minute skits that are attached by something that roughly looks like a plot. Um, and I really you wonder. You know what? I'll do some market research and get back to you. Fantastic. Well, we know how that goes. Yeah, the three musketeers. Uh, no, the three stooges. All of that stuff. It's so great. Mm-hmm. So great. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, excellent. All right. So thinking through what we've talked about and thinking through legacy. Um, wh- what do you believe, Ann Kelly, to be the legacy of this film? Um, I believe that the legacy of, I mean, in the short term, it relaunched a career that would, among other things, shape Oscar history. But in the longer term, I think the legacy of this film was really to, um, I mean, I don't know that it stands on its own as one, like as a shining beacon of one thing. It's part of, uh, a time and a place and a, a genre that I think was incredibly important. Uh, I mean, we've talked about rom-coms, but also just that kind of female centric um, plot line was incredibly important in forties Hollywood and affected how we tell stories now. Um, there are a lot of individual things that happened out of this movie. The screenwriter actually is one of the uh, Hollywood 10. He was blacklisted. Um, oh, Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, in the long term, you get careers like Annette Benning and Glenn Close because you had Katherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Um, you get, you know, uh, conversations like like what is the good or bad of um, I Feel Pretty because of Katherine Hepburn. Uh, I, there is a lot, there, there is a lot about the conversation about American female stars and American movies that comes out of this period of time. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. That was lovely. Yeah. I do think that there's something to be said for having like Catherine Hepburn um, in whatever role she was in was herself and like was a strong female, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's always good to have on screen. Always. Yeah. And there are a lot of those at this point. You get Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, Catherine Hepburn, Marlena Dietrich, Greta Garbo. I mean, you know, you get a lot of them at this point in it's American true. history. It's true. And it's kind of cool because, I mean, and you were talking about this before, like Catherine Hepburn in her own way because of her acting abilities got to, in the end, kind of call her own shots in terms of like what movies she was doing and, and you know, what what studios she was working for and all that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. she had a lot of agency in her own career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because she had a fantastic agent, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, there's, there's legitimately a book about the agent that she had. And it's basically like, he revolutionized how agents work, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, uh, She is one of those that had a great deal of agency um, and kind of, you know, lived her specifically uh, ornery uh, Connecticut-born version of her truth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a beautiful description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's so much fun. 
It's a fun movie. Okay. It is, it is, a, is fun a fun movie. movie. <laughs> okay. So to wrap up, let's talk about where in the world we would go right now if we could go anywhere. Oh. Nobody has thoughts. I have thoughts. <laughs> um, I like, really want to go to the beach. <laughs> okay, so what's so funny about that is you live in LA and that's 100% possible. I think I might yeah. go to the beach today, but I just like want to be there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I have I'm very simple opposite. needs. Okay. I'm going to go opposite because I was talking yesterday with somebody about um, doing a glacier hike and now I'm I'm like desperately wishing for snow, even though it's April in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's gonna be snow? tough. Gross. <sighs> I miss snow so much. I no, just go you skiing. don't. You don't. No, I do. I do. She's from Colorado. Sne- mm-hmm. Oh, but still. <laughs> <laughs> if we're like Chicago is currently in the. Um, like throws the never-ending winter mm-hmm. like it's still really cold and yeah there was no sun so i'm just like over it mm. yep it's gonna be 83 and sunny today in pasadena <gasps> all my anger there it's you go. yeah there we go okay there we go annie how about you um, so kind of along those lines, it not being warm here, and I want it to be warm, I think that I would go with, maybe, Eleanor, I'll join you on the beach. <laughs> All right. Just nondescript beach, right? Yeah, you I'm like put leaning like towards Brazil, because I want like Asahi, but I might get Asahi bowl for brunch, so I might be able mm. to fulfill all of my desires today. All of your dreams. It's a beautiful day. (laughs) That and I'll read. I'm reading some really terrifying books recently, BT dubs. Ooh, what are you reading? Um, I read this book, Columbine, which is about and I'd requested from the library a while ago, and I read it on my plane ride back, and then it wasn't until I was like finishing the book that I realized it was the nineteenth anniversary of Columbine the day I was reading it, and I was like, I don't like this. And then the other book that came in from me from the library is Michelle McNamara's true crime book that she was writing when she died so that's Patton Oswalt's wife mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm reading that book and I'm like also like she died two years ago yesterday and I was like what is happening I need to read something very happy yeah no Michelle McNamara yeah. Annie so like Haley brought up this point too so Patton Oswalt's wife who she was a beautiful like the writing is really incredible but she went to um Notre Dame and she grew up in Oak Park. Like, she... Wait, stop. Yeah. No, she... So she, like, essentially lived our she life. She essentially lived our <laughs> life. Uh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. But anyway, I need to read something happy. Um, so, happy mm-hmm. recommendations. I'm reading so many books right now, I get them all mixed up. I don't have anything happy for you because everything that I'm reading is extremely sad right now. No, and we work in genocide. I'm reading... Something different. I'm reading I'm reading a book about the Holocaust, but I'm also hey. reading a children's book and that's happy. Yay. Um, yeah, and I'm also reading a sad sociology book called Guyland that looks at like guy culture between the ages of eighteen and twenty-six. 
Okay. Ooh. And it's kind of terrifying. I'd imagine. Yeah. It's like hazing. Hazing is real bad, guys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We need to work collectively on happy, happy books. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading. I'm reading Eichmann in Jerusalem because Holocaust studies, and I'm reading Tessa the Durbervilles. So just nothing happy right now. This summer oh, we'll see Mamma Mia too, and that'll be happy. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's gonna be great. Give when me all Mama of the Mia share. Come out. Okay, you know too what? Far away. Oh, be still my heart. Yeah. Okay. On that note. Anne Kelly, yes. thank you so much for being a guest today. It's been extraordinary. I'm so excited to learn and delve into 52 Weeks with Catherine. Uh, Same. Yeah. And so thank you for being here. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I had a lovely morning talking to you both. All right. And with that, we are out. And you can find us on the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, and where. We're getting better at Instagram. Yeah, and I've been pretty... As in, I'm getting better at Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And, Annie, you can follow Ann Kelly at, I think it's at We Recycle Movies. Is that it? Your... It's We Recycle Media. Yeah. I was close. Okay, We Recycle Media. Very close. Um, But yeah, so we look forward to hearing from all of you soon. Thank you.